Yo, this is Sam Sports Podcast. It is Thursday, June 9th, 2016. I'm on the microphone today. Sam Rosenberg. Want to talk about the NBA Finals? LeBron returned. Game three, the Cavaliers put a whooping on the Golden State Warriors. Man, they said, uh uh uh, we are going to impose our will on you. You will not sweep us out of this Finals. Doesn't matter. We are going to win this one for Kevin Love. Kevin Love did not play because of a concussion sustained in game two. Now, of course, with all of this comes the discussion of are they better without Kevin Love? Are they, you know, is, is, are you, because Richard Jefferson ends up starting in place of Kevin Love and gets some fantastic minutes. I mean, Richard Jefferson played quality minutes in the game. He looked like a real force out there, uh, was really, you know, really from a defensive standpoint, brought a lot of tenacity. Uh, but it wasn't just, you know, listen, I'm not going to say that they're better without Kevin Love. It really had to do more with, you know, the play of the entire team. I want to say LeBron James. It wasn't just LeBron, though. Everybody was was hot last night. Kyrie Irving was, you know, doing crossovers and little, like, you know, sweet little back and forth, you know, breaking ankles and stuff. It looked like, you know, out of those Nike commercials when he's dressed up as the old man, you know, was really stroking it, was hitting a lot of shots. Um, LeBron got physical from an offensive standpoint. I mean, he looked 10 years young. He was doing alley-oops. He was passing the ball. I mean, LeBron's offensive stamp was on this game uh, and he really got just about everybody else involved and some of the now the other things that really helped out the the Cavaliers favor was a lot of these other guys who hadn't been performing so far in the in the first two games showed up namely J.R. Smith J.R. Smith finally showed up was really stroking it hitting a lot of three-pointers I think he scored at least 20 points in the game you know, that's a far cry from games one and two when he was barely even shooting. And when he was shooting, he was not, you know, hitting shots. So getting, you know, production scoring out of J.R. Smith is a big help. Um, Tristan Thompson was very aggressive. The, the, really, the moral of all of the Cavaliers' play that stuck out in Game 3 was the physicality. Everything was sort of cranked up and locked in. They were much more physical. They were getting up on them. They were playing tenacious defense, and you started to see a real sort of shakeup of the rotation from Teron Liu. Now, I think Kevin Love not playing certainly contributed to that, uh, but I think it worked out in their favor. Richard Jefferson starting was a, a great... Um, you know, uh, you know, wild card for the Cavaliers to have. Tristan Thompson was very physical, got a lot of offensive rebounds, a lot of putbacks. Um, J.R. Smith got a lot of scoring production out of him. Um, and you really, you started to see some other players didn't get on the floor as much. Della Vadova didn't really play much in game three. Channing Frye came in and, and played some minutes uh, in the middle of the game in the second half, but you also didn't see him as much. Whereas... You saw Timothy Mozgov come out in the first quarter, and that was really a moment where the Cavaliers, I think, chose to go big, chose to impose their presence on the Warriors, and much of this game can really be, uh, you know, looked at if you look at the first quarter as a microcosm. The first quarter of the game kind of decided the entire game. Now, I know it didn't, and I looked at my wife, Campbell, and I said, I think that was the whole game, and of course, she was like, listen, it's early. I know it's early. You know, the Warriors definitely crawled their way back in the in the second quarter, but then, you know, the third quarter, the Cavaliers put them away again. Uh, but that first quarter kind of decided everything because there was at one point in the first quarter 
when the Cavaliers were winning by 20. When it was a 30, when they had 30 points and the Warriors had 10, Warriors were struggling to hit their shots. Uh, Steph Curry, you know, was missing a handful of shots. Um, Bogut was kind of getting knocked around. However, Bogut was about the only guy who was scoring in the first quarter, you know. And then you had this really, really hard pick. Uh, that Timothy Mozgov had on Clay Thompson, where Thompson had to leave the game for a little bit and sort of sit on the bench before he felt good enough to come back into the game. Uh, but what you saw was it, it, the Cavaliers jumped on him. They came out, they were moving the ball, they were aggressive, they were fast, they jumped out to an early lead, and they really just pushed it. Whereas the Warriors were trying to hit a few shots and trying to close the lead, they just kept missing a few shots. Uh, they brought in Iguodala early. Iguodala and Bogut were pretty much the only guys who were who were scoring at all. And Harrison Barnes. Harrison Barnes had a very good game. Uh, however, it couldn't help them stop the chemistry of the Cavaliers. Whereas the Cavaliers looked dead on arrival in the two games in Oakland, this was a completely different Cavaliers team. They were passing the ball. They were moving quickly. It was exciting to see them do what they were doing. They were hitting shots. And that's something else. You know, we had talked about, or at least I had heard uh, Zach Lowe talk uh, with Brian Winhorst on his podcast, The Low Post, about how uh, LeBron's jump shot was gone. You know, it's true. LeBron's jump shot has really kind of vanished a little bit, but last night it was back. He was hitting threes. He was hitting outside jumpers. He was hitting fallaway jumpers, fadeaways. It was on like Donkey Kong. LeBron was like, uh-uh, not on my watch. You know, the last time I got swept and embarrassed was 2007 when I was on this Cavaliers team, and I ain't doing that again. LeBron really willed his team. And I also read today that there was a strong rallying around Kevin Love. Um... Clearly, Kevin Love has a concussion. Now, listen, I'm just going to put it out there. I'm not discounting or trying to say that a concussion is not a very serious injury and it should be taken lightly. That is not what I'm saying one bit whatsoever. However, a concussion is a bruise of the brain, okay? And when you're dealing with brain injuries, unlike soft tissue or bone injuries throughout the rest of your body, it's a much bigger mystery. You know, we might have a lot of information and knowledge about many things in this world, but the brain is still a giant question mark. There's still a lot of things that we just don't understand about the brain. We might know how to, you know, put a valve, you know, or a pacemaker inside a heart. We might know how to give somebody an eye transplant, but we really don't know what's going on when it comes to the brain. So, when you get a concussion, there's varying degrees of concussions. They come in all different types and shapes and symptoms. It's hard to sort of say one concussion is like the other concussion. You can't really say that. You can't grade them, you know, that this one is a grade five and this one's a grade one. It doesn't work like that. It's just so much of a mystery. So I say this because from, a, from the eye test... It's hard to see concussion symptoms. It's hard to see how you can, if you are quote unquote healthy enough to be coming out of a concussion. Um, and, and that is, could be, you know, you can see that from game two. After Kevin Love was hit in the back of the head by Harrison Barnes, looked pretty inadvertent. It looked like an inadvertent elbow to the head. After that happened, they were not sure if he had a concussion. He stayed in the game. All of the doctors and coaches can pretty much say he wasn't exhibiting symptoms. He goes into halftime. He's in the locker room for halftime. He's still not exhibiting symptoms. It's only when he comes out in the third quarter, starts to play, and looks woozy that they take him out of the game, put him into the protocol, and say, all right, we've confirmed you've got a concussion. And now, you know, what happens is very quickly – a lot of the basic symptoms kind of 
slowly start to disappear. You know, he's not woozy anymore. He's coherent. He can talk. He can jump. He can move. He can run. But you're still exhibiting some of those smaller concussion symptoms. So he stays in the concussion protocol. And now I have to give credit to our doctors because we've gotten to a point now where we are at least admitting and accepting the fact that even though these symptoms are not clear as day, it doesn't mean that a concussion didn't happen, and it doesn't mean that he's fully recovered. Uh, or, or, um, and it doesn't mean that he is fully, yeah, he's, he's fully recovered. So we have to sit there and know that even though he feels good, even though Kevin Love wants to play, even though he's able to run and jump and move and do everything that he should be able to do, He's still not ready to play, and he's still recover. His body is still recovering from a concussion. His brain is still trying to heal itself. So, for all intents and purposes, he could have played. And if it was 20, 30 years ago, he would have played. But concussion protocol, the way it is, they kept him out of the game. That's probably the right decision. But I read this article where they quote Kyrie Irving, they quote LeBron James. It was pretty clear that Kevin Love was in that locker room and he wanted to play. And he was very upset that he could not be playing. And this is the same guy who had to watch his Cavaliers team play in the finals last year and lose while he was sitting on the bench with a dis- with a, dis- a separated shoulder. And it even came out in this article that after game three of the finals last year, when the Cavaliers went up 2-1, the decision was made in Kevin Love's head. He said, you know what? N- screw this. I'm coming back. I want to be back on this team. I want to be in the finals. I want to be here for these winning ways. And I think Kevin Love feels very strongly as a part of this team. LeBron, Kyrie, and Kevin, and this whole team, you know, for all of what we say on the outside looking in, these guys are adults who are trying to win a championship. And really, you know, it's team means an awful lot more when you're a million-dollar professional doing it on the biggest stage than when you're in the schoolyard with friends. And I think... It's not to be taken lightly when we hear articles and discussions from LeBron and Kyrie Irving saying, we won this game for Kevin. We knew that he was really upset that he couldn't play in this game, and we knew that it hurt him that he couldn't play in this game. And we as his team, as his brothers, as the people who are there for him, the guys who say, listen, you need us just as much as we need you, okay? They were the ones who looked at him and said, hey man, we got you. We're going to win this game. You're going to come back. You're going to get back on the floor, and you're going to be part of our team real soon. But in the meantime, while you're out, we're going to take care of business. We got you. And you know what? That came out. So listen, there's a couple of stories saying motivation for the game. There's also a story coming out that uh, one of the assistant coaches for the Cavaliers gave a very impassioned speech after their loss in game two that really motivated the team. Maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that the Cavaliers came out, you know, looking like that, you know, somebody had just breathed life into them. I mean, it's like they took like, it was looked like a fairy tale. It's like they grabbed the, the sword of Azeroth or something, man. It was like a, you know, just picture LeBron on a steed with a flaming blade, man. That's what this was. They were not to be denied. Now, the team that I haven't spoken about at all is the Warriors and what happened with the Warriors. So a couple of storylines going on here with the Warriors. Number one. 
Steph Curry has disappeared this series. I can already say that unless he has some majestic, magical turnaround in the rest of the series, he's not winning MVP of the finals this year either, okay? Because he has been a bit of an afterthought. Game one, even though they won and they killed the uh, the Cavaliers, it was the bench. Sean Livingston led the team in scoring with 20 points. You know, all of Steph Curry's scoring in that game was a bit of an afterthought. And uh, game two, he was game two is the only game where he kind of showed up and looked, you know, was contributing. But again, it wasn't his explosive scoring that won the game in game two. He was just kind of another piece of the great play that dominated because that was a blowout game. Um, so. Steph Curry disappearing a little bit. He certainly disappeared in Game 3. Had a very terrible first quarter. Got two quick fouls. That was really the story of it. He got two quick personal fouls in the first quarter, seven, seven seconds apart from each other. That puts him on the bench. He gets out of the game. You know, that's one of the best ways to to neutralize a star is to get them in foul trouble early. Um, Clay Thompson definitely had some shooting, shooting troubles last night. He's been a little bit more of a... Uh, productive, I think, and, and has definitely impacted this series more than Steph so far. Um, Iguodala is really the guy who has been impacting this series a lot. His defense in games one and two were were um, it was amazing and really left an impression on the game. However, we're missing him now. Game three, you know, that defense, it was there, but it wasn't shutting them down. It wasn't shutting down the Cavs like it did in the first two games. Um, you got some offensive production from Iguodala, but that's not where you want to be getting offensive production. Um, they just they were struggling to score. Draymond Green looked like he was getting frustrated. He couldn't score as much. And the defensive rotations, whereas you saw switching and defensive breakdowns for the Cavaliers happening in games one and two, they looked like fools. I mean, it really looked like the Warriors were just just running circles around them, and it looked like they didn't know what they were doing. They looked confused. They were had you know they had defensive breakdowns. They were pointing fingers at each other. They looked frustrated. Shumpert looked completely out of sorts. I mean, it was a 180 in Game Three. They were all over the place. They were running for the ball. They were covering screens. They were getting physical, and all of a sudden. Golden State had trouble scoring. All of a sudden, Golden State's missing shots. All of a sudden, Golden State is on the road, down by 20 in the first quarter, and this Cleveland crowd is going crazy. And, you know, another little shout-out to the Cleveland crowd that I noticed. This was something I hadn't seen in a very, very long time. The National Anthem, they got the crowd to sing the National Anthem together. Like, they literally had everybody just... Sing the national anthem. The, the the woman who sings it started with the first couple of, oh, say, can you? And then she stopped, and the whole arena just sang the national anthem. It was pretty, it was pretty powerful. It actually really made me sort of think, like, why don't they do that more? Like, why do we always sort of have someone high? You know, it felt more powerful than just watching some singer sing the national anthem. It felt a little bit more, you know, like everybody going to church or something. You know, it's it's amazing when you have thousands of people all singing a song together. It's a it's a moving experience and it was definitely something cuz typically I'm going to mute or fast forward through the national anthem. I don't like watching commercials. I even though commercials make the world go round, you know, commercials are the people who pay the TV stations, you know, it's all about how much ad time they can sell. It's not really about the programming they're putting on. All the programming is all still, you know, and ends to getting towards selling advertising time. So when commercials come on, I just mute the commercials. If it's DVR'd or TiVo'd, I fast forward through them. That's how I do it. Same thing with the national anthem. 
I'm not watching too much pregame. I tune in right at tip-off and watch the game. I want to see the game. And you know what? Sometimes I can mute the announcers because I don't really care what they have to say. Jeff Van Gundy gets pretty annoying after a while anyway. I think he's a great coach. I think he's got a lot of good points, but he can also be crazy sometimes and talk about ridiculous things. And I just don't need to hear him sometimes in order to watch the game. Um, so it was pretty amazing and, uh, and moving when I saw the, uh, the whole crowd sing the national anthem together. I mean, that was, that was a moving experience. But anyway, back to the Warriors. I, um, they started to look through their rotation. They were trying to find guys that worked. You saw Barbosa come out. You saw Spates come out. You know, they, they were getting into foul trouble. All of their guys were getting into foul trouble. You saw Verizhao getting minutes. Um, and again, they had to find production from their bench when Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, I don't think either of them scored in the first quarter. I mean, it was really something where Harrison Barnes was shouldering a lot of the scoring load. And, um, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blather a little bit right now because I'm going to go look up the stats right now. I want to see exactly what the scoring distribution was for the Warriors in that game because I'm curious who actually led the team in scoring. Confirmed, Harrison Barnes led the team in scoring. That makes perfect sense. Of all guys, Harrison Barnes had the best had the best game. Um, oh, I'm sorry, that's not true. Harrison Barnes, uh, Steph Curry led the team in scoring. That's he. Okay, so Steph Curry had 19 points. Harrison Barnes had 18 points. Steph Curry's points were all. You know, they were towards the end of the game. They were in the second quarter when they were closing the 20-point deficit. But I think the closest they got was seven points, and they never got beyond that. But Harrison Barnes was the one who was really, really performing well. He shot seven for 11 from the field, um, two of five from beyond the arc, uh, eight rebounds. He was just playing great ball. Um, Iguodala was the other guy who really performed well, whereas, you know, Steph Curry scoring 19 points, Klay Thompson scoring 10 points, Steph Curry shoots 6 of 13, Klay Thompson shoots 4 of 13. That's, I mean, that's that's a surefire way to lose the game. Whereas you had explosive scoring from the Cavaliers, 30 from Kyrie Irving, 32 from LeBron, 20 from JR, 14 from Tristan Thompson. They're the only ones who scored in double digits. And you got 9 points from Richard Jefferson who played 33 minutes. I mean, that says a lot. I mean, Richard Jefferson playing 33 minutes. I'm sorry, you got to sit here now, even if Kevin Love is healthy. Even if he's healthy, you have to seriously sit here and say, is Richard Jefferson a better fit in this starting lineup? Because he may be. Because if you, if Kevin Love is out for game four and you trot that same starting lineup out and the Cavaliers are able to steal another game at home and go back to Oakland with a 2-2 series... I'm telling you, if Kevin Love comes back for Game 5, he might be coming off the bench and ha- with Richard Jefferson in the starting lineup. I can't believe I'm saying Richard Jefferson is all of a sudden the X-Factor wild card, but right now, it looks like he is because he was playing great minutes and the Cavaliers just smoked him. Um, but the Warriors, listen, never underestimate the heart of a champion. They're g- you know They're going to find production. And, you know, I was listening to Bill Simmons' podcast. He mentions this as well. Klay Thompson and Steph Curry... There's only so many bad games they're going to have. Inevitably, they're going to strike it rich. They're like a slot machine. Sooner or later, one of these games, they're just going to get hot, hit a bunch of three-pointers, and score 40 points in a game with probably 19 points in a single quarter. I mean, that is truly the story of Game 6 of the Western Conference Finals against the Thunder. The Thunder had the game. They, they, They had the finals. It was in the palm of their hand. They had a lead going into the fourth quarter, Clay Thompson. 
Clay Thompson, Clay Thompson, Clay Thompson. Hitting amazing shots, remarkable shots. And then the Thunder getting a little lazy. Warriors defense cranking, cranking up and just, you know, stifling them. And, you know, when that game six slipped through the fingers of the Oklahoma City Thunder, I mean, it spoke worlds about the resilience of the Golden State Warriors. And that's the same resilience that we see now. So though the Warriors might have been blown out by 30 points, I'm not ready to count them out. I'm not ready to say it's over. I'm not ready to say that uh, you can stick a fork in them and, you know, we got a whole new series. Because, listen, if the Warriors pick up game four and go back to Oakland up three games to one, you know, this is, this is, this is going to be the same story all over again. It's, it's really more of a testament to how quickly the narrative changes when you, um, you know, when all of a sudden there's a blowout win by a team that everybody had pretty much, you know, left for dead. We, were, we, had, we had written off Cleveland. We were like, they're done. They're not going to come back. It's over. Good job. Nice work. But meh. That's not the case. All right? They are not dead. LeBron James is back. LeBron, this was the LeBron returns game. Okay? This was LeBron saying, I will not go down without a fight. Not on my watch. From my cold, dead hands. Over my dead body. This was a LeBron no way, dude. Uh-uh. I ain't doing this, man. And he got a little physical with Steph Curry last night. There was a there was a little foul that he got where the two of them were getting, you know, hooked in. There was also, oh, this is a juicy one. So after one of these plays was over, there was like a, you know, a foul or something. And, you know, sometimes after a play's over, you'll see a basketball, you'll see a player just kind of half-heartedly shoot at the hoop or, you know, just shoot the ball after the play's over. After the play was over, Steph Curry, you know, kind of half-heartedly drove to the hoop and did a little, you know, a little lazy layup to the hoop. Well, LeBron lazily walked up and blocked his layup and kind of gave him a little look. And even though it was after the play was dead and it looked like it was kind of a little bit of half-hearted and fun in games, there's a mental game going on there. LeBron knows what's up. He knows that the other guy on the other team, his counterpart is Steph Curry. You know, and he knows that this is the guy who he's got to get in the head of. So, you know, LeBron is definitely playing mental games with Steph Curry. I'm sure they're all cool. I'm sure it's all business. But when it comes to the court, when it comes to the NBA Finals, when it comes to MVPs and championships and the biggest stage there is... Yo, there's no friends out there, man. You're not on my team. You're not my teammate. You're my enemy. You are you are in my way of hoisting that title, and I'm going to go through you. That's LeBron James. So take some time now. Go see some highlights to last night's game before you watch uh, game, game four on Friday night. I mean, it's just amazing to see LeBron do some of the things he did. Watch that alley-oop he has in the third quarter. It's just brilliant. He steals the ball, goes down the court, passes to one of his teammates, and the teammate feeds him with an alley-oop. He gets so high and reaches back so far to get this ball. It's just it's just amazing. So I'm still picking the, the Warriors to win the series in six games, but I had to, you know, I had to unpack game three. It was a hell of a game three. It lets everybody know that LeBron James is still LeBron James. He's never left, even though he's he's returned in game three. We thought he left, but he never left because we can't forget the the brilliance of the Cavaliers in the first three rounds, even though it was the Eastern Conference. Um, so I'm excited for the next game. Hopefully you are as well. Um, as always, uh, check out my podcast. Go to my Facebook page, Sam Sports Station. Uh, like my Facebook page. Email me at samsportsstation at gmail.com, S-M-A-S-S-P-O-R-T-S-S-T-A-T-I-O-N at gmail.com. It's real easy. I want to hear your feedback. I want to hear your thoughts. And I want to hear questions. I'll take questions. We'll talk about them on the show. Um, that's all I have for today. Thanks for listening. Uh, come back soon. Enjoy Game 4. We will talk later. Bye-bye.